Welcome to Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG. Brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we'll investigate how purpose, vision, and values can guide your company's sustainability actions, behaviors, and mindsets. And we'll discuss their impact with the help of ESG-focused guests from around the globe. I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's get started. Today, we're talking with David Rutherford. David, welcome to Sustainable Minds. Gary, thank you so much. Really happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. David's a highly versatile, multiple award-winning leader with 30 years of experience in corporate, government, agency, and nonprofit organizations. His main skills revolve around driving strategy, leading and shaping teams, delivering compelling content, and creating value. David's specialized expertise is in financial services and wealth management. He's also a writer, speaker, painter, and cartoonist. Currently, David is the VP of Communications and Corporate Responsibility for Aviso Wealth. Aviso Wealth empowers better wealth management for all Canadians. We're going to talk about that. Before joining Aviso, David was the Vice President of ESG for NEI Investments. But NEI is one of Canada's oldest names in responsible investments. So you had a couple stints there, but NEI is now part of Aviso, correct? That is correct. Okay. As of April 1st, 2018. Okay. You also worked as a VP of product marketing and VP creative director and VP event communications for McKinsey Investments. Yep. You started your career as a copywriter with BFS advertising. I want to talk about that. And you have a master's of science, media and communications from the London School of Economics and Political Science, where you graduated with distinction. Welcome. So far, all true. Welcome. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. So I'd like to start knowing, getting a little personal. So you, you started as a copywriter in advertising. But before that, David, when you were a young boy and before the world told you what to do, or maybe your parents told you what to, what did you dream of when you were young or what inspired you or what did you really like to do? Yeah. So my parents were unusual, but maybe all, not all that unusual in that they didn't communicate a lot. So I really didn't have a good idea what was going on in their minds, but I could judge them by their actions. And my dad was very dedicated to what he did, although I wasn't so sure he was really happy about what he did. And my mom didn't say much, but I once saw my mom bolt out the front door and stand in front of a bulldozer across the street from us that was plowing through very sensitive marshland. Wow. That really stuck with me. And when she died, I put that moment in her obituary. And my dad was always very socially active. He volunteered for a lot of organizations, but they did a lot of things that they never talked about. Where I grew up in Sarnia, Ontario, Canada, it's called the Chemical Valley. And there are a lot of chemical companies there, massive polluters, uh, has a big impact on the environment, big impact on health of people in Sarnia. And I remember one time in the 70s, when I grew up, some Greenpeace protesters climbed the twin smokestacks of Dow Chemical. Dow Chemical is based in Midland, Michigan, which is probably about an hour from Sarnia, and hung a big Greenpeace banner out there. and 
my mom was really supportive of that. And to me, those were the signals I had growing up that my parents cared about things other than making money and being upperly mobile and having the best house and all that kind of stuff. They cared about the world they lived in and they cared about the society they lived in. So I always had that in me, even though it kind of took a while to come out, but my whole life has, has taken a while to come out. And I think part of that is because just it took me a long time to figure out who I was. So advertising, you're a creator. Yeah, I love creating things. I love making things, producing things. So I've been an advertising copywriter. I've been a painter. I've been a cartoonist, been a newspaper writer, done all those kinds of things because I had these, I never really knew what I wanted to do, but I had these kind of skills that I could leverage in different ways. For me, advertising copywriter was something that really interested me because I could write. But when I got in the advertising world, I realized that the difference between me and someone who's really good at advertising is I'm a three-day take. So it takes me three days to actually figure out something clever to say. Whereas in the advertising world, you got you got to be a five-second take. And so <laughs> I didn't succeed, but I love the work. I still love writing and I wish I did more of it. But the job I have now and other commitments kind of consume me from doing a lot of detailed writing, although I've done some recently. So you were a long-form guy rather than the short-form. I am a long-form guy. Yeah. To the core. Yeah. Uh, well, that fits with sustainability. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? It's a long-term plan. It's a long-term commitment. <laughs> yep. So Be So Well seems kind of interesting. We're going to talk about that. But first, tell us about your, as a VP of Communications and Corpus Sustainability, what are your responsibilities there? What does corporate responsibility sure. mean at Aviso? Yeah. So I came out of NEI Investments and NEI has this longstanding leadership position in responsible investing in Canada. And they, they launched the first responsible investment fund in Canada. And uh, as you know, I had two stints there, one heading marketing, one heading the ESG team. In April or May of 2021, I came to realize that the ESG team at NEI needed someone with deeper ESG expertise, like someone who had really had long, a long tenure in that in that field to lead the team and shape it. I kind of brought it from a place where it was kind of a black box and I kind of opened up that black box and helped people understand what the team was and the value that they brought to it. But it was time for a change. At the same time, Aviso, which was still kind of in the merger phase, bringing three companies together, started to develop these strategic statements. And one of those statements was, we will be an ESG leader. And so I went to our head of people and culture who I knew from NEI and I said, yeah, you guys have no idea what you're signing up for here. I'm kind of thinking this is a good opportunity for me. And she said, it is. I'm not sure we're ready for a full-time sustainability role, but I also have challenges on the communication side. You have tons of experience on the communication side. Can we put you in a hybrid role? And I'm like, sure, anything, because I just wanted to, wanted to open the door to really help Aviso develop and, and grow its responsibility and sustainability ambitions. So I started that role just about a year ago, and uh, the feeling was, oh, sustainability, it's going to kind of grow slowly in this organization. You'll be consumed on the communication side. That's the way it was maybe for about three weeks. And then the board of the organization started to take note of this role, started to take note of its desire to really make a mark in terms of sustainability. And this thing is just accelerating game momentum significantly over the past year. And we're in a place now where we have a 
really good sustainability framework in place for the organization that we are going to be implementing at the start of next year is an important step for Aviso to move beyond connecting plumbing and wiring to becoming a real company that holds sustainability pretty close to its core, certainly has a strong influence over its uh, corporate strategy. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. Yeah, yeah. Certainly the explosion in ESG investing is not going away. No, no, it's not. I've never seen anything in my tenure in the financial services industry, which is almost 25 years now. I've never seen anything grow so quickly and find itself at the front of everybody's mind in this industry where everybody's jumping in the pool now. And it's getting very crowded where even as recently as three to four years ago, we couldn't get an investment advisor to open the door to take a meeting with us in a lot of cases because they they were just not interested in that. They just didn't know how to talk about it. So it's grown phenomenally and it's not going anywhere. It's only going to get bigger. Yeah, I read this article just recently when I was thinking about you in a recent PricewaterhouseCooper investor survey. And they talk about the surge in demand for ESG funds as a global phenomenon, right? Not just confined to uh, Europe. And they quoted eight out of 10 institution investors plan to increase their allocation to ESG products. I would agree. And I do a lot of work helping people understand that investor demand. Because if you look at the world and you look at what's happened over the past 10 years, we had these moments like the Deepwater Horizon kind of exploding in the Gulf Mm -hmm. of Mexico and the Dieselgate scandal and a factory collapse in Bangladesh. And then suddenly a whole bunch of things started to happen really quickly in terms of a regular cycle of fires related to climate change. And with the pandemic that kind of cracked open a lot of our resilience challenges and the murder of George Floyd and 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 the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. And up here in Canada, the truckers protest in response to pandemic restrictions. And the whole world is being reshaped before us. And it's all trending in the direction of people wanting, A, a greater say in what happens in their life, and B, wanting more attention paid to social and environmental factors in the way their governments behave, in the way companies behave, in the way other people behave. And so all of this is kind of adding up. And you can plot those events on a chart And it matches almost perfectly with the uh, sales into sustainable funds. They both go like a hockey stick in 2018. Right. In fact, I was just finished reading. There's a letter that Larry Fink had posted today talking about their opening up their investors in their funds, being able to have more say in conversation with corporate leaders He believes that that is going to be transformative as far as long-term value, how it's going to really build that and provide that. And uh, certainly, it's what people want, accountability, that we're all seeing. It's so interesting how much we all really have to be connected to each other in this moment and stand for things. We have a saying, saying, saying it anyhow, the, only, the best way to change a company is to own it and engage with it. And that's what that's all about. And the real beauty of responsible investing and where it ties into what people want is it 
gives people a voice in the boardrooms of the companies that they own and the companies that they buy from. And it takes that enablement of your personal purpose from a simple transaction. In other words, if I believe that Unilever is a is a great sustainable company and I want to support Unilever, so I'm going to buy your soap, to responsible investing where I can invest in that company and I can actually, I'm actually empowered by the company I invest in who are having those dialogues at the table with those companies. I'm empowered to make that change by virtue of my investment dollars. It just takes you way up to that, the spectrum in terms of your, the enablement of your personal purpose. Yep. Doing some background work, Bill, the CEO, in his bio, he describes a VISO as a more diverse healthier wealth management ecosystem benefiting all Canadians. So as a guy that is a uh, champion of corporate brands, I kind of want to break that down a little bit. What does, yeah, I read somewhere else in a company of description, it says empowers better wealth management for all Canadian. What do they mean empowers better? So we're going through that process right now of figuring out our identity as an organization once we now that we've moved beyond on the merger phase. And what a Viso is a platform of products and services and expertise that other organizations can plug into and use those services to grow their businesses to better serve the investors that they support. So we are primarily a B2B play, business to business. Gotcha. But we're building this platform and we're building it with the goal of ensuring that down the chain through the services we provide to other businesses who who provide services and products to investors, down that chain, we are serving the needs of investors, all investors, you know, investors who want responsible solutions. We have products for that. Investors who want lower cost solutions. We have products for that. Investors who want to do it themselves, self-directed investors. We have products for that. Companies that want back office support and custodial services, we have products for that. So it's all providing that infrastructure and those products to ensure that when it gets into the hands of the investors, they have a better wealth experience than they may have had working with somebody else. And are credit unions the main channel for these products? We are owned 50% by credit unions and 50% by an organization here in Canada called Desjardins. And both have significant sustainability ambitions and expertise. Desjardins, a real sustainability leader. And we have a number of credit unions that are well down the track. An organization like Van City has been a sustainable bank for a long, long time and doing really incredible stuff in this space. And a lot of our CUs, credit unions are following suit. But that's our ownership structure, and they are a key stakeholder for us. I had a client similar they were known as a CUSO, Credit Union Service Organization. They were owned by credit unions, but they provided commercial loans to credit unions that they could offer their customers. And people yeah. don't typically think of credit unions doing commercial lending. So yeah. kind of credit similar. Credit unions offer a lot of services. Yeah, we're just focused on the wealth, on growing wealth within credit unions, but they do offer a lot of services and they yeah. are. They're up here in Canada where we have a oligarchical structure in terms of our banks. We have five or six really big banks who control everything. Credit unions are a real nice alternative to doing all your work with banks. The notion of core values, do you have a defined set of core values that are there at Aviso? We do. Those are things that we have worked on and shaped over the 
over the last year. So those values are pretty well set and we feel good about them. And we feel that they plug into the strategy that we're building for the company very nicely. I think that those values are going to kind of, they're not going to change, but they, some may be emphasized more than others. And I think responsibility and sustainability are, are key values that really resonate with our employee force. And they're really excited about the work that Aviso is going to be undertaking in the sustainability space. And to be honest, we barely told them anything so far because we're still figuring it out. But whenever I talk to any of our employees about it, it's a galvanizing force for organizations to know that their companies are doing something like that. Yeah. And of course, they see that you've brought in legacy companies and companies that had strong reputations in that area. So it's not something that you're just all of a sudden artificially trying to put icing on the cake. It's been baked into it with the legacy companies yeah. that have come together. So yeah. that's yeah, we have that, some fantastic that's... cultural elements that we're bringing together. Mm-hmm. And that article, the survey, PwC, six out of ten in institutional investors are recording higher yields on their ESG investments compared to those that are non-ESG based. Yeah, I mean, coming out of the pandemic, ESG uh, investments performed extremely well because all companies were sitting up and taking notice of the fact that there's a whole set of factors out there that they maybe hadn't considered or hadn't considered as deeply as they should have. And the pandemic kind of cracked that open for everybody to see. And so a lot, and because investor interest was there, a lot of money went there. We never sell, well, I shouldn't say never, I don't speak for some of our sales team, but I would never sell based on performance around sustainability. I would say, look how much more we can do in addition to grow your wealth. And to me, that's the value proposition of selling sustainable wealth products is that you get the opportunity to grow your wealth, but you get so much more, including that empowering aspect to make a real impact on uh, social and environmental factors. I'm finding everybody has some nuances and some special things that they look for. One of our guests who's in the investment business and creating funds and investing in companies, they talked about culture and they thought it was really important looking at a company's culture. And one of the key indicator was retention and is a key indicator of culture and having an employee's first mindset. Is there anything unique or distinctive or is there anything kind of interesting about the way Aviso approaches some of this stuff? Well, we're building our culture right now. Our internal culture is an amalgamation of three cultures that came together. Always tricky when you merge those things together because they're a good element of all three that you want to bring together. But the real challenge is engaging your workforce in a merged environment around a singular strategy and a singular notion of who you are. And that's where we're trying to get to probably in the next year or so is really start to achieve that unified culture, a culture based on delivering exceptional experience to the people we do business with, a culture that holds sustainability at its core and and has and sustainability considerations find their way into all elements of our business a culture based on exceptional client service. None of those are really distinct in and of themselves. I think a lot of companies aspire to that, 
but we have some elements of our business, like the NEI business, that really stands out in terms of the ability to deliver something that you can't get anywhere else. And I recognize there are a lot of people jumping into the responsible investment space, but there is a well of thought leadership and intellectual capital with NEI because we've been doing it for 35 years that few firms, not just in Canada, few firms globally can match that knowledge and track record. And you talk about retention, our ESG team is, it's the same people that have been around for a while. We've kept that team together at a time when demand for ESG talent is really off the charts. Everybody's looking to build out those capabilities. And I think it speaks to the fact that we give that ESG team at NEI the respect that it deserves. And we give the latitude to conduct an RI program, a responsible investment program. It's very, very detailed, very comprehensive. And the difference compared to a lot of others, it's really interconnected in terms of all its elements because we've been doing it for so long. And we've actually invented some practices that others are using today. Yeah. I'm sort of interested in how you develop that prioritary relationship between evaluating ESG in companies and then deciding that you want to invest in those companies because of your valuation. All the different investment houses sort of, that's the black box but the black box keeps evolving. I mean, just recently we were talking with somebody who was, I mean, we've heard the last year, you know, net zero, carbon decarbonization, all this. And then today, all of a sudden I'm hearing water is the next carbon. So how they keep moving the need, I mean, I keep evolving that proprietary sort of mix of what they consider and evaluate to be considered best in class and the company that you would be willing to invest in. Yeah. I'll say two things about the way we look at it is we are trying to drive systemic change. And so we are investing in companies that we believe can help achieve systemic change on some of the big challenges that we face in the world, like climate change, like systemic discrimination, like human rights and social inequality, those kinds of things. Those are big, big things to tackle, but we believe that companies can help us do that. Obviously, you need governments and you need other organizations to help you along the way, but we invest in companies. We invest in companies that we believe will not only deliver better returns for our investors because we believe in the thesis of responsible investing, and that is a company that pays attention to ESG factors will be a better performer in the long run. But we also believe that companies have a role to play and we help them identify the role that they can play in tackling some of these systemic challenges. So we evaluate companies based on that kind of thinking. We do have our own proprietary evaluation framework, just like tons of other people do. And and you have to because there is no unified agreement on what's material out there. And so we have our own views on materiality and other organizations will have theirs. Where we think we're a little bit different is that when we evaluate those companies, we also identify targets we believe are really good engagement partners and companies that we can get in there as owners and using our rights as shareholders to get in there, talk to management, help them identify ESG risk, risk perhaps they didn't even know they had, and get them thinking about these kinds of things, like engaging with 
a fossil fuel company or an oil and gas company and helping them understand what their viability is going to look like in a low carbon world and getting them to transition their businesses into more renewable sources of energy. That's a big part of our business because in in Canada, we're Mm -hmm. really resource-based. So we have to work with those companies. A lot of people kind of give us a sideways glance about our engagement with fossil fuel companies. If we don't do that, those emissions aren't going away. We walk away from fossil fuel companies. They're still going to be doing what they do. If we own those companies and engage them and help them transition to become cleaner operators who are more focused on renewable energy sources, then we can have an impact, direct impact on those emissions. So we are always geared towards getting involved with companies and helping them make change. Yeah, I read that NEI just recently received exceptionally high marks in the latest assessment report from the UN Principles for Responsible Investment. That's a nice thing. We were really proud of that. Uh, We were proud of that because the PRI really changed its evaluation metrics and methodology this year because they found that, okay, everybody's scoring high, it's becoming meaningless. They changed them and made them way more rigorous in it, and it created a much wider dispersion of ratings, but we we still found ourselves at the top where we've been. So we were pretty excited about seeing our program continue to be valued that way. When you were just talking about engaging with the companies, how would you characterize that engagement as a partnership rather than an activist, a shareholder activist? I mean, what's the difference? It's a really great question because it can vary by jurisdiction. Up here in Canada, you know, we're, we have this reputation of being very polite people. And in <laughs> fact, our, our engagements are highly collaborative. We're engaging as owners who have the best interests of the company in mind. And we're trying to make these companies better investments and better companies. So we always engage on that best interest, always in a collaborative way. Sometimes companies, when we reach out to begin an engagement, are a little bit wary because they think we are going to come in hard and we are going to take an activist bent. We're not that way. Although I will say we have seen, we have witnessed that ESG-focused activism can work. We don't employ it in our particular model, but we do see what happened at Exxon. And we go, okay, that's a legitimate strategy. It just isn't one we employ now. Uh, We're more in for collaboration and long-term engagement. So finding partners and working with those companies over the long-term to help them strategically change their focus to be better performers. Love it. Yeah. Love it. I'm sure you have strategies in place if we have a greater-than-expected global recession. I imagine so. Uh, (laughs) I'm not part of our investment team. So, and not part of our product development team. I'm not sure what's happening on that front, but what I will say is that when we talk to advisors and we talk about that three-dimensional value that we can bring, so in terms of risk, return, and impact, risk and return is always going to go up and down. And that's just the nature of the markets. Impact, though, can be fairly consistent. And so what you can say to your clients is, yeah, You're in for a bit of a bumpy ride on the growth of your financial investment, but the impact that you're going to have and the positive impact, and perhaps that's the main reason you're using this investment, is always going to be fairly steady because we're building products to do those kinds of things. Yeah. You're polite up there. We're not so polite (laughs) down here. Okay. I grew up in the border. I have a lot of time for... My, my friends in the States. Yeah. And of course, everything gets politicized here. 
ESG is also up for grabs and has become a political football. With often used in ways that uh, they don't really understand it. (laughs) Yep, it's a legitimate and real threat to the momentum of ESG. It, It really is because there is a completely contrary and opposing viewpoint about the value of ESG. And it's something that I think ESG professionals, at least up here, are probably not paying enough attention to because we have this such a core belief and this is absolutely the right thing to do and it's good for companies. And it's hard for us to accept that there's a group of people out there who don't believe this kind of thing. And this polarization is not unique to the States. We have a significantly polarized environment up here on all kinds of issues. I mentioned the truckers protest. It's it's there. We have a new leader of our conservative party, which would be the rough equivalent to the Republican party, who is really plugging into that sentiment. Yeah. Well, Well, I I don't want to get into politics, but that's too bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, well. You can't talk about ESG without. Yeah. Yeah, we can't. It is political. It is. And it's global, too. And that's something that one of the reasons where I feel that there's this stake that we need to be collaborative all over and hold each other accountable. And when you don't have that, or you have a few governments that are completely obliterating that, the world has to get together and put some pressure on those people. Because meanwhile, the floods and the hurricanes and all these things are increasing in frequency, which cost so much more to address after the fact rather than start the change that will prevent some of it. So uh, you can't you can't ignore it. No. The nice thing is that companies get it and they know where investors are coming from and they know they need to pay attention to these factors, but companies can only do so much. We work with companies. We think they're important levers of change in terms of addressing some of these systemic issues, but we need government governments and regulators to do the same and perhaps more. And it's really, that's where the real challenge is, is getting momentum in the public policy side to align with some of the goals that that sustainability and responsible investing are trying to achieve. I agree. We talked about how so much has changed over the last couple of years, and I think you said five years. So let's take that and push that out. What does the next five years look like or even 10 years? What are your thoughts yeah. around that, David? Yeah, you'll get a different answer on me from me depending on the day because sometimes I do get very discouraged for all the things we were just, for the reasons all, all that we were all talking yeah. about is that we just can't seem to get anyone, just take climate change, for example, anyone to really band together and decide that, yeah, this is real. Yes, it needs a coordinated response. It needs a very aggressive response, to your point. Right, because because time is marching on, and yeah, you just think, well, are we ever going to get there? But if you are close to the flame like we are, you can see progress. At times, it's slow. I do say that I don't think you can judge the future pace of change based on the past pace of change, and I do think that there is an opportunity for an inflection point that is really going to inspire greater momentum. I thought the pandemic was one of those things. We've had some slippage in terms of some of the momentum that was built coming out of the pandemic, 
But there was at that moment a fundamental change in everybody's thinking. And if we can try and keep that particular rock moving up the hill and not let it slip, then we have an opportunity to embed that fundamental change and, and allow us to address some of the things that we want to do. But there's an equal amount of force pushing the other way. We've got to figure I, out a way to make those two work together. Yeah. And I believe the young generation Y and Z and even the millennials are really part of the answer, a big part of the answer of what can become that inflection point when they get into the positions of power to address things. Yeah. I mean, I'm holding out a lot of hope for those two generations. I I have two kids who are Z's and one is the millennial. So I know where their heads are at and I know where the heads of all their friends are at. So Collectively, we got to hope they're able to, to pick up that mantle and really. Yeah, well, them. they're going to. They're. I'm convinced they're going to make the difference in our midterm elections. So I hope every single one of them is going to get out and vote. And I hope yeah. the polls get out and vote. Get out and vote. And I think the polls are. I don't know about you, but I can barely get my millennial to answer a phone. So, <laughs> so I don't know how successful the polls are really getting the pulse of what's going on with those two generations. Yeah, it's hard for me to weigh in on that because all my kids are really politically active. That's they're, great. They're really plugged into what's going on there. So they may not answer my text, but I know they're voting. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Thank you for your perspectives today. Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to? No, that was a lot of fun. Uh, like okay. I said, I could talk all day about this stuff. Yeah. Good. <laughs> you two are great. Well, thanks so much for giving us your time. Greatly, greatly appreciate it, David. Take care. Okay. Okay, you as well. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Sustainable Minds wherever you get your podcasts. And please do live a review if you like what we're doing. It helps others discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to find out more about how we can help you evolve your corporate brand, culture, and ESG, head to bakerbrand.com. See you on the next episode of Sustainable Minds, exploring the interplay of corporate brand, core beliefs, and ESG. 